we find ourselves today in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, I want to start by reading one verse and we'll come back to that verse in context. And it, It's in the middle of this prayer that Paul has for the church in Ephesus and he is praying that the church in Ephesus would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened. That they may know what is the hope to which he has called you, the hope to which he had called them. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? The book of Ephesians is a, one of my favorite books. It's a powerful book. The end of Ephesians in particular is probably one of the, the most familiar as we talk about the whole armor of God where it says to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might and to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I like that part in Ephesians because it seems like we go about our Christian lives in such a way that, you know, it's just... Yep, it's Sunday again. Okay, I have my devotional time again. It becomes old hat in some ways. It becomes kind of old nature. And then we read Ephesians 6, and we, we were awakened again, and we remember, as I like, wait a minute, we're in the middle of a spiritual battle. We, we go about in, in, in life in the midst of a battle. It says, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's like we, we have a, we, we're on point for a while, but we have a tendency, I believe, to forget. We go through life sometimes with our eyes closed. We don't go through life with our eyes open, realizing the calling that God has placed on our lives and the power of God in which we walk. By, by, by His Holy Spirit. If we don't have a good understanding of the Holy Spirit, if we don't have a good understanding of the calling that God's placed, life becomes about the things that fill the time. It becomes about what we're doing next. What's tomorrow? What's next week? What's this next appointment? And we kind of forget about the God who's in the midst of everything and who is kind of heard a, a phrase recently that I think is kind of cool when you think about it in a spiritual nature, the God who's kind of in between the seconds. The God who's there. So Paul has that prayer for the Ephesians, that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, that I think that they would live an, an awakened life. And I kind of want to talk about that today that we would live that kind of life, that we'd live an awakened life. Let's begin, though, in, in Ephesians 1, 1. And Paul says, that, hey, I'm, a, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. That's key. I think one of the things that we have sought for as a church is to understand the will of God. What has God called us to do? What is our calling? And he says very clearly, I'm a... I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And that's why some of these songs were chosen today. I am who, I, who you say I am. Who is real life? It's not who we say it is. It's not who others outside this, this building say it is. It's who God says it is. 
This is real life's purpose. This is real life's function. This is what they're called to do. Who is, who is, who is Brad? Who is God say that you are? In this particular instance, Paul says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He says, hey, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now we could stop, quite frankly, and make a sermon out of that one verse. We don't live life, as I mentioned earlier, awakened very often. We don't live with our, the eyes of our heart enlightened and awakened, realizing the spiritual battle that we're in. And because of that, I think we don't realize that we have, as he says here, we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The heavenly places meaning the this, this spiritual nature, the spiritual realm that we were talking about a moment ago. We have been blessed. My question for you this morning is, do you and it's really not the right question, but is do you feel blessed? Yes. Did you feel blessed the day before? I mean, like, if I stop and sit down and go, am I blessed? Yeah, you know, when I look at it comparatively speaking. But on every given day, do I feel blessed? Do I, do I wake up and go, this is amazing. You know, I, I mean, like, I have to reconcile this. It's not just, you know, every day of every moment, you know, I go, oh, man, am I blessed. There's some bad times. There's some rough stuff, you know. So, I don't know, I don't know where you were going, but my, my point is, is that I, I have to stop and, you know, put things into perspective at times, uh, and acknowledge how, how that I am blessed because in every moment I don't necessarily feel that way. So which is the truth? What, what do you mean? What, what? I mean, quite frankly, they're both the truth. I can't, I can't help the way that I feel in bad times, but reconciling that I am blessed, that, that forgiveness and is mine. You're reconciling that you're blessed based on what is my question. God says you are what you're feeling. Well, I mean, you know, who, who God says I am is ultimately the answer. But in the moment, like I said, I, I, have to, I have to come back to that. That is not an inherent state for most people. So in other words, I mean, there is, feelings are reality the sense that you feel something. But yeah. the truth of the matter is, is that you're blessed. Indeed. Regardless of how you feel. I agree. I think the feeling, I think part of the struggle with it is that the feelings, you know, the, the scripture says the blessing is in the heavenly places. Which are where? The blessing is in the spiritual realm. 
but sometimes we don't feel the blessing in the worldly realm because of circumstances around us, because of the way others see us, because of those things that we have to constantly try and reconnect in the heavenly realm to feel the blessing, for me anyway. I have to find it. I don't just feel it. When we talk about being blessed, a lot, most times people are talking about, like you say, things here like good health, my family, I have a good job, I have a home and all. Those are like, kind of like, you know, but when God talks about you are blessed from a spiritual standpoint, like you said, I mean, it, we are always blessed because the blessing is the relationship with God, not what, whether I have health or not, physical health or not, I'm blessed right. in, my, in my heart. I mean, I, I, I agree in the sense that you know, none of us are, are owed a perfect life. We're going to have bad times. And in those moments, you don't necessarily feel blessed. Um, but that doesn't take away the, the blessing and the forgiveness that we've earned. But that blessing that, that, that comes, uh, you know, in the afterlife. So. There's... What I'm trying to draw out here is that there is quite often a disconnect. There's a separation that, that we draw between the physical and the spiritual world. And the problem is, is that the Bible doesn't talk about it like that. The Jewish understanding even is of an understanding of, of, of wholeness that everything is together. It's like I said a moment ago is that, that we don't seem to see the God that's in between the seconds. The Bible says, I believe in Colossians chapter 1, that He is all in all, that He fills up everything. We're going to see later in Ephesians 1 that he's, things are summed up in Him. And we have this belief that is improper according to scripture that God is up there and we are down here. Now we say that we go to heaven when we die that we're going up. That's not the understanding of the spiritual nature, the spiritual realm. It's not separated like that. It can't be both because what we what happens is we go from the beginning of Ephesians to the end and we get jarred into reality when we realize in Ephesians chapter 6, oh, wait a minute, the devil's not up there or away or some other place. He's right here. We're encountering the devil now and yet God's away. So we have chosen to keep the devil close, but God at a distance. You haven't chosen that. Just Mentally. I, I think your question earlier think that there are moments like this why sun, Sundays go around the other way next 
are important because there's an aspect to, to times that we gather that allows us to get tuned in, you know, to, to, to reconnect and have our, the eyes of our hearts open to, to be aware of what's been there all along. And I, and I don't say this to demean feelings because I have feelings too, okay? Um, but, I mean, there, there is something about myself that is true. I am a pastor. But I have to tell you that there are several days a week that I don't feel like a pastor. There are several days a week that I, quite frankly, don't want to be a pastor. That I have the, the Jonah feeling that I just want to run away. Those are feelings. Those, those are emotions. Regardless of how I feel, the truth is, this is the calling God has given me, that I am a pastor. It doesn't negate those emotions, those feelings, but the feelings are not the truth. And so in the midst of a life that we live full of feelings, full of hard times, full of struggles, we have to continue to focus on the truth, and the truth is, is that the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, indwells us. He never left you in the midst of whatever feeling it was that you feel, whatever hard time that you faced. The battle never stopped as well, that in fact we kind of engage with it more, realizing the fact that, okay, what, what aspect of this is, is warfare? is something from the enemy. And I, and I say that to bring, to bring this into line, that the Bible says, God says, that we are blessed, even as He chose us in Him, says, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. That's how He wants us to be. And he continues on, thankfully, and says, In love, he predestined us for adoption. At the very beginning, he already made up his mind what he was going to do. He already planned to adopt us. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, in which he has once again blessed us in the Beloved. These are the things we have. These are the, these are the things that, that he says we are here that we're going to read. These are the things that we have to hold on to rather than emotion, rather than circumstance, rather than feelings. There are times that you simply have to hold on to the truth and not emotion, right? I think one of the best illustrations I've heard others talk about is when you fly a plane. You can't see anything. Let's say you're flying in the middle of a storm. You can't see anything. The wind's blowing you around. You have no direction. You have fear. You're terrified. Or you could be terrified. I'm not saying that pilots are, per se. They've experienced it a lot, right? But what do they do? They don't rely upon their intuition. They don't rely upon it feels right to turn left here, to go up or to go down. What do they do? Use their instruments. They use their instruments. Because it's the only thing they can trust. It's the only thing that they can actually rely on that they know is 
true. Can't trust the gut. Can't trust the so-called intuition or these feelings or, you know, cannot be overcome by the storm. They've got to trust the instruments that are right in front of them. But I think many times in our life, rather than than trust this instrument, trust the truth, we have a tendency to throw it out. To say, I don't believe this, I believe my feelings or my circumstances instead. Because he says, this is, I am who, I, who you say, I am who you say I am. Say that with me. I am who you say I am. This is what it says in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. There's a, let's, well, let's read through the rest. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So let's break this down a second. In him we have redemption. Let's play Sunday school for a moment. Tell me what, to your knowledge, the word redemption means. Restored to a high place. Okay. Anybody else want to tackle it or add to or... Now, where y'all are headed is great. And, and that comes from, no, that comes from years of study because you understand the richness of that word and how it fits in with the whole, right? But to, to simply break it down in its simplest level, redemption has to do with a price that was paid. It's a financial term. And I say it's important because I think I want us to kind of deconstruct what we're, and put it back together so that we're looking at it clearly. We, we are redeemed. The price has been paid for our sin. How is it paid? Christ on the cross. Correct. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. That's redemption. Now, it has a fuller meaning that y'all have already alluded to because it, it fits in with these other things, but at its simplest and bare bones, it is about the price that was paid. There's, there's more that we need, I think, than just our price being paid. When you think about a wrong that's been done to you or a wrong you've committed to someone else, you know, people would say, and we've, we've been watching a show that, that y'all uh, told us about called uh, Rectify. Oh, yeah. And if you've seen that show, there's, you know, he has supposedly paid his price to society, you know? Put, you know, that's what they say when you get out, someone gets out of prison, they, you know, the price has been paid. But, but that's not enough, isn't it? Or is it? when it comes to reacclimating to society when when you've when a wrong has been done 
Of course, I haven't seen everything, and so there's a lot of mystery into the show. But that's, there's one thing between a price being paid, and then when you go on, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood. The price was paid. But then it says this, the forgiveness of our trespasses. It's one thing to be redeemed. It's an even greater thing to receive forgiveness. Prices can be paid without necessarily there being forgiveness, can't there? Here. Here. Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole aspect of this is miraculous. This is why we find it in Scripture, okay? When you talk about, about we have to bring things onto a, a human level to understand, I believe, the, the immense um, uh, grace that God has given. So we have the aspect of, of the price being paid for, but then we have the aspect of forgiveness, which to me, in my understanding of this, is more about a relationship being restored. God didn't just redeem us of our sins, didn't just forgive us of our sins, I mean, just pay for the price for our sins, He forgave us. He actually wants to have a relationship with us again. When we talk to people about Christ, it's not just, hey, you're not, the richness isn't, you're, you're going to miss hell and make heaven. If there's no relationship with God there, that's really going to be awkward. Yeah, you got in, kid, but I want nothing to do with you. It's about relationship. We have been, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, and then it says, according to the riches of his what? In Scripture there. The riches of his what? Grace. Yeah. His grace. Grace, when you think about grace, in my mind, is about a, is about a new opportunity. The fullness, the richness of this is the price paid, a restored relationship and a new opportunity. Doesn't it say that in 2 Corinthians 5.17, that the old is gone and the new has come. In Him, this is what we have. We have redemption. We have forgiveness. We have grace, which it says that He lavished. What a great word. You know? He wasn't cheap with it. You know, it's like, yeah, I want a piece of cake. You know, it's a birthday party and someone cuts this little tiny thing. I mean, it's like, you're like, whoa, slow down, too much, too much. He lavished this grace that he lavished upon us. And I love the next words because it's not as if he made a mistake. Oh, I gave too much grace. He's, he lavished upon us, it says, in all wisdom and insight. God fully knew what he was doing. That's the heart of God. In all wisdom and its insight, making known to us the mystery of His will. According to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan, and I like this, this is an interesting passage, for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven things on earth. What do you think that means? 
as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. It's a pretty deep passage. Hey, as long as we sit around this table, I have the ability to ask questions. So I guess we'll be hanging out with cherubim and seraphim and whatever those things are up there that I don't understand. I don't think it means it's up there. Mm -hmm. I don't think it means it's up there. I think it means it's right here. What's the what? What do you mean? I mean, that it says, put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Or they're under Christ already. But uh, it, when, when it's, there's an end game. When it's, all, when it's all done, it's right here. It's going to happen right here. If we let it, it's gonna, it can be right here, right now. A lot of times we don't let it. We separate it. Like you said, we let, devil in, we let, we let the devil be right here but we think of God being right there. It doesn't have to be that way if we choose to not let it be. And that's the, that's the idea where Eric was talking about every day, not feeling blessed of totally bringing that blessing and having that feeling of being blessed all the time. Because then, then you're walking hand in hand. Then you're letting him fill up in between the seconds. It, it's his desire that we... that. We're not separated from him ever. And if we only get to see him in between the seconds, we're not seeing him during the seconds. So that's kind of a, that's putting him, that's putting him on the back burner. He doesn't want him on, he doesn't want us to put him on the back burner. We all do it. We do it. There's a value more than others sometimes in tackling some of these words in the original language. I, I, I wish, it's not, I still can, but spent even more time understanding Greek and Hebrew so I could understand the beginning. And you understand the importance of language, right? If there's a nuance to, to a way that you say something. Mm-hmm. To understand it in the original language is pretty key. And, and when you read it here, it is a translation that says unity, and that's true. There's an interesting aspect to this is that when you look at that word unity, in Greek, it actually, the, the better word that would seem to understand it is summarize, which to me was very confusing for a moment. Like, I don't understand what that means. So if you were to replace that word as a plan for the fullness of time to summarize all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. But what happens when you summarize something? Finer points get lost. What did you say? What was it? What did you say, Eric? I said some of the finer points get lost when you summarize things. You total it up. You total it up, but but oftentimes. Least common denominator. You say here's what it is. I think you put it in front. I think you take out the fluff. You say here's what it actually is. Here's what it boils down to. Or. We often summarize things so that people will understand. And I think here there's a, a touch of that. 
that has a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things, to summarize all things. There's this aspect that, that finally things will come together, but there will be an understanding. There'll be a lot of those, those why questions that are answered, the, the things, the understanding of how stuff fits together. Because life seems pretty screwed up, seems pretty complicated at times. We don't understand it all. And there's this aspect that, that twofold, I believe, that he's bringing things together, he's making what's wrong right, and he's, he's helping the aspect of understanding, the aspect of it's being summarized in him. Here's how it all fits. Here's now, here's now how it all comes together. And that's, that's good to know because there, there's so much of our life, especially as believers, that, that we just, well, hopefully all of it, that we just place in His hands. The things we don't understand, the things that we, you know, we, we just walk in faith. Last week I went to a, a funeral of a three-month-old three baby girl. Christian, I don't know if you ever met Christian uh, from the mission, lost, lost his baby after surgery after surgery after surgery. And there's a lot of those questions, a lot of those why. That's just one of billions, I'm sure, of questions and scenarios and situations and why and what ifs and, and all of that. But there will be a day that, that we will, there will be a summary. There will be a boiling down of it. There will be an understanding. There will be a uniting. There will be a, all the loose ends tied together that it will fit. The why questions answered. But God is a God who, who fixes the broken. He's a God who who unites. He's a God who makes things right. The things that we just see, quite frankly, as an impossibility. You can probably all come up with one thing where you're sitting right now that, that feels like a complete impossibility. I said feels, right? How could this particular thing ever change, happen, whatever? We serve the, the God who unites all things in heaven and on earth. These are the I am who you say I am things. We're going to skip to the end here. In verse 15 it says, For, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love toward all the saints, Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And again, this is his prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. What is wisdom? I think it's 
it's it's related to knowledge, but it's different. Bingo. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. And we see knowledge misapplied all the time when it comes to churches, don't we? Yeah, you know the truth and you use it to treat somebody like this, for example. He prays, remembering in me my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom that we would apply this knowledge correctly and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That we know him well. And then it says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. It's a very interesting pictorial language there, isn't it? Having the eyes of your heart. We all know we don't have eyes in our heart. But we know what he's saying, though, don't we? It's like that we would be inspired. You know what I mean? You know the difference, I think, between having the eyes of your hearts enlightened? You felt that way before. It's like things are clear. It's, it's that moment, and, and, and it's very difficult to describe to an unbeliever of when the Holy Spirit is active in your life, when the Holy Spirit is upon you in a way that is, that is so strong that you feel it, that you taste it, that you touch it. If, if only... You know, others could see that and understand that, right? That's what we struggle to, to share with those that don't know Christ. If you just knew what it meant to be connected with God. Pray that God would give you the spirit of wisdom, of revelation, the knowledge of Him, having your eyes, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. That you would get it, right? That you may know what is the hope to which... He has called you. The hope to which He has called you. He's talking to a church here. He's praying that they would be inspired, essentially. They would realize the hope to which God has called them. Do you think that God has a hope for for our church. There's a calling for our church. But he wants us to, to understand him well, for our hearts to be enlightened, to be inspired, and to grab a hold of the hope that he has for us, the calling that he has for us. That type of thing is true on an individual level, but it's also true as a church. Are we willing to to grab a hold and, and truly take what he's called us to do. He says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And I love this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? And he goes on to explain that power by saying it's the same power that rose Christ from the grave. We act personally and as a church many times probably very small, very weak, very powerless. We are who he says we are. 
Just because we don't use it doesn't mean we don't have the power and the authority of Christ. Every blessing. Let's read the rest of this passage. Verse 19, we'll finish through here. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named above everybody, above any one so-called power, any so-called other king or authority or name, above everything. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. There is no one who is higher than him. There is no one who is stronger. There is no one who is more powerful. There is no one who is greater than our God. And it says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to who? To the, to the church. Here's a you are who I say you are thing. To the church, which is what? His body. Who are you? You're the body of Christ. Which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. We cannot take lightly the calling that God has placed upon us. Lord, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we are who you say we are. As a church, and Lord, as an individual, Lord, we, I am who you say I am. Lord, I pray that we would claim that, that we would hold on to that, that we would live and we would walk in that. Lord, help us to To know that, Lord, may the, the as, as Paul's prayer was, Lord, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. That we know that, that we are inspired by your Spirit to walk, to live in such a way. Lord, we pray that, that you would help us to truly apply wisdom. And Lord, that we would do it in the power of your Spirit.
and there is no power greater. Lord, I do pray that though we don't need the feeling for that to be true, that, Lord, that you would, that you would attach feeling to that, you would attach emotion to that, Lord, that you would just fill us with your Spirit. Help us to know, help us to feel, to understand, help us to apply all that you've, you've shown us today. Help us to be who we are. We love you and we, we thank you for this morning together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said.